Good morning. So glad that you joined us today. If we haven't been introduced yet, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here at the church. Just want to also welcome those who are watching at carneyefree.com. Glad that you're here. Well, we're going to be continuing in our series from broken to beautiful. And I've, what I've so appreciated about this series is that it's just prompted me to ask questions. One of the questions that I've been thinking about lately, and, I, and I'll just present it here today, is do you have anyone in your life that reminds you of what's most important? Of what's most important and how to experience joy. So I, I've been walking with Christ for a number of years now. And if I'm honest, the feeling of joy that I've had in my walk at times has had its ups and downs. Is there, is there anyone with me today on that? Yeah, yeah. And if I'm even a little bit more vulnerable right now, even in the past few months, I've just really struggled with joy. But I'm so thankful for the example of those who have gone before me, who are a little bit further in the faith, that show me what it means, what's most important, and how to experience joy. Uh, I've had the privilege of being able to get to know uh, Rick and Linda Rowe over the past year. Uh, Rick and Linda are on staff with FCA at UNK, and they invited me to join them for an end-of-year event that they were having. They asked if I would lead worship. And it was going to be a time where they um, just uh, end the year, but then also just celebrate what God had been doing in their midst. So I, I enjoyed doing these things. So I, I led worship for a couple songs around the campfire, but then what came next, what came next really, really deeply impacted me. They had six students share about what God had been doing in their lives. The first one that shared... Uh, I, I can't exactly remember his name, but what he did was uh, he was a football player and he came from California. So he was away from family and from friends. And within the first week or two of football practice, he broke his foot. He broke his foot. But what he talked about was that the students, the ones that were part of that FCA group, they came in and they served him. When he was immobile, they served him and provided for his needs. And how much that helped him grow in Christ and be a part of the community. There was one other student that had been walking away from Christ and there was a life-altering event that happened to him. And in the midst of that, uh, Rick and Linda went to him and they shared the gospel with him and he talked about how it changed his life and now he's following Christ. And just student after student, they talked about the community that they shared together in this group. But here's what impacted me the most was each student that shared, I took a peek over at Rick and Linda, and man, I saw the smile on their faces from ear to ear, and I saw it. I saw joy. I saw joy in them. And it wasn't coming from a place of pride of look at the amazing work that we've been doing here, but rather it was joy because they saw the gospel at work in their students' lives and how they're being transformed more into the likeness and the image of God and how that they were serving and loving one another. And I, I saw joy in them. So I mentioned the gospel, and I think it is helpful to define what that is. This is a definition that uh, Adrian has used many times in his sermons or at the gospel and teachings, but I think it'd be helpful for us today to look at it. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection, which freely forgives and regenerates sinners and welcomes them into God's family. 
Okay, so what I saw at work that night was the gospel. I mean, these students came from different backgrounds and different places, but yet they were united around this and they served one another and they loved one another. And I saw joy. How often do you experience that within the gospel? It seems like often, and I feel this even within, even within myself at times, that the gospel can be hindered and it feels like it can be hindered at every step. And the discouragement that we feel can sometimes whittle away at our desire to love and serve others. All right, so Paul had a view about this. He had a view about this. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 9, but I want to just take a glance at verse 12 before we read the entire thing. Paul says this, we, and he's talking about Paul, he's talking about himself and his co-laborer Barnabas, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. You know, you think about the relationship or the state of the relationship of people in the world right now, it seems like any time that we disagree, we seem to think that we need to pull back. And maybe even sometimes within our churches, if we disagree, we seem to need to be pulling back and feels like the gospel is hindered. But what does Paul do in this passage? He doesn't point the finger Though outside forces are at work, what does he do? He looks closer to home. He looks at himself. And he asks, what is it that I'm doing that could be hindering the gospel? So how does he fight against this? And in turn, how do we fight against this? I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, open to 1 Corinthians 9. Otherwise, you can look up on the screen and you'll see the verses up there. Beginning in verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. And here Paul is, he's, de he's defending his rights. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, who is Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? So Paul, he's going into his Bible right now, into the Old Testament. For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. 
And I'm not writing this in the hope that you would do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. That's a pretty strong statement from Paul there. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. And then I think this next question of his is one that we ask a lot. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So that's kind of a long passage. You know, as you were reading it, you may have been like, okay, what does this have to do with me? I'm not an apostle, Paul, you're talking about your rights as an apostle. I'm not an apostle, so maybe I should just skip over this section. You know, when I read this one a number of years ago, I kind of had those same questions, but I think it's helpful for us to think about what an apostle is. So an apostle was one commissioned by God to go and spread the gospel and to plant churches. They were missionaries. And they also had authority in the churches as they were beginning to be planted. Okay, so none of us in this room are ever going to hold the office of apostle, but there is a sense that all of us are missionaries. All right, you are a missionary. You're a missionary in your workplace, to your family, to the people that you encounter, and in this brand new world, even in our engagements online. You're a missionary to share the light and the hope of Christ through the gospel. And this is what Paul is getting at as he talks about his freedom. What he's saying is that we are free in Christ, but how we use our freedom for the sake of others, it matters. So here's the big idea that we'll take away from this passage, and we'll break this down a little bit more as we go through. And it's this. Gospel freedom compels and constrains us toward greater reward. Gospel freedom compels and constrains us toward greater reward. So it may, it may be kind of weird to think about the gospel in this way, toward greater reward, but let, let, let's keep that, that up there. And let's put a different word in front of that to make sense of this. All right, so if we put fitness, so fitness can both compel and constrain us toward greater reward. If you wanna achieve that higher reward in fitness, you may, can't just be compelled. You have to also constrain yourself. I think many of us are oftentimes compelled at the beginning of January. <laughs> That's when gym memberships tend to go up, but we, it's hard to constrain ourselves. And for those who know me, they know that I love Dr. Pepper. Right, so going for that great, that higher reward for fitness hasn't really worked out for me. But if we want to achieve that higher reward, we can't just be compelled. We have to also constrain ourselves. You could also put financial goals in front of that. You can make a budget all you want. You can be compelled to make a budget. But if you don't constrain yourself and live within that budget, you won't experience the fruit of it. So this is what Paul is saying Gospel freedom, we need to both compel and constrain ourselves in order to achieve the fruit of the gospel and the fruit that can be passed along to others as well. It needs to be holistic 
in our lives. I so appreciated Pastor Adrian's message last week as he talked through 1 Corinthians 8, and I love this line. Real love is really considerate. Real love is really considerate. And how it invited us to ask the tough questions. I mean, is there any preference? Is there anything in my life that I could set aside, even for a moment, for the benefit of reaching someone else for the gospel? So as we shift over to the chapter nine today, this is what Paul is doing. This is what Paul is doing. He is asking himself the tough question. Even though I'm an apostle, should I set aside my right to receive financial support from the Corinthian church? All right, so as he's processing through this question, it invites us, is there anything that we need to set aside to reach those with the gospel? All right, we see this as we continue on. In verse four, this is what Paul asks. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Don't I have the right to blank? I mean, if you hop onto social media, how long is it till you see that question? Don't I have the right to? Or maybe even perhaps in conversations in the recent past, in the recent years, you've had this with people. It seems like we're talking about rights more than ever now. And maybe perhaps you've said this or someone else has said this, don't I have the right to blank? Okay, even as you're looking up at the screen right now, perhaps you're filling in that blank right now. So when you think about that question, what source of authority do you appeal to? What source of authority do you appeal to? It seems like many in our culture right now are simply just appealing to, or right now this is simply the way that culture is going, so we need to go along with it. I can do whatever I want. It's my right. I don't really need to think about how it affects others. They appeal to the source of culture. Or maybe even perhaps, uh, this is something that's amazing in our country. They didn't have this context in, in the New Testament as Paul's writing, but we can appeal to the Constitution for our rights. And it's an amazing thing that we can have because we have so many freedoms in this country. But what Paul is doing as a believer in Christ, he's showing us a great example. What does he appeal to? He appeals to the authority of Scripture. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 9.9. He's quoting Deuteronomy 25.4, that really bizarre verse as we were reading it where it said, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. I mean, why, why is he going to that? Well, if you put a muzzle over the ox at it, as they are harvesting, it prevents it from taking part in the harvest. And Paul asks this question, is it the oxen that the Lord is thinking about? No, surely he is writing this for us. And he's saying, I have the right as a preacher of the gospel to share in the harvest. So Paul displays solid biblical proof that he is able to exercise this right. But what does he say in verse 12? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. All right, so each, each person's situation 
is different. But what Paul is teaching us here is a really important principle for the Christian life as we think about our freedom. Even when scripture gives you freedom to exercise a right, freely laying it down may be what is right. Uh, Let's read it again. Would you read it with me this time from the screen? Even when scripture gives you freedom to exercise a right, freely laying it down may be what is right. Even jumping ahead 2,000 years from when this text was written, even when scripture is silent about a right, freely laying it down may be what is right. All right, I, I can tell that this is a tough one. Okay, I, I feel the tension of it too. Because I often battle this notion, is God gonna give me enough? I, I struggle with that on a weekly basis. I also battle with the notion, is God going to protect me? But even as Paul is writing this, he's, he's battling with it as well because even as he's thinking about laying down his right, it cost him, all right? It, it cost him his reputation because you think about the context of Corinth, wealth and freedom were a sign of honor and laying down your right for the sake of someone else was unheard of. Even so much to the point that people questioned, people in the church questioned if Paul was actually an apostle. So it cost him his reputation. It also cost him his comfort because since he wasn't receiving support from the Corinthian church, he had to work with his hands to support himself in addition to the work that he was doing. But yet, Paul still says, it may be right for me to lay this down. Why does he constrain himself? Okay, I think about it like an image of a water filter. So I'm gonna be be going on a backpack trip in Colorado uh, a little bit later in July. And the first question my wife asked me was, well, how are you gonna get water? So we we could dip our water bottle into the stream, but there's things that are present. Even though the water is life-giving, there's things in that stream that if we drank it, it could cause harm to us. So this is what Paul is doing with his life. He is using this gospel filter because he wants his life to be most life-giving to others. So he runs it through this filter. Will this be life-giving to others if I use this right? He's simply asking the question, and I think it prompts us to ask the same question. Is my life life-giving to others? So filter number one in this gospel filter that we can ask ourselves, in this moment, would using this right hinder the reach of the gospel to other hearts? In this moment, would using this right hinder the reach of the gospel to other hearts. Again in verse 12, Paul says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. All right, so even though Paul is laying down his right to receive support from the Corinthian church, what he's not saying is that ministers can't be paid. Right, again, he, he displayed solid biblical proof for this, and as you're reading in it, He doesn't criticize the other apostles when they didn't lay it down. And in fact, even if you look in Philippians, Paul accepted and received support from the Philippian church. Okay, so what's going on in Corinth that's causing him 
to constrain himself. All right, so there was a lot of itinerant teachers and philosophers in that day in Corinth that were known for their ability to speak. And this is what would happen often. They would speak, and then they would expect to be paid a lot of money. And it often led to exploitation of the people that they spoke to. Okay, so here is Paul with the gospel as he is trying to get the gospel to move forward in Corinth. If he were to receive support, these are the things that he's thinking through. Will the message of the gospel stand out? Or will it just simply blend in with what these teachers are doing? So Paul is compelled by the gospel. He knows that it is the life-giving power that can heal and restore. And he knows that the world is so desperate of it. So he is compelled, but he also knows that he needs to constrain himself to achieve that higher reward. So he lays it down. So here's a question to ponder through. Does your life stand out for the gospel? Does the message of the gospel stand out in your life? So when you really think about it, there's opportunities every day that the message of the gospel can stand out in our lives. It seems like we're crossing paths with so many people so often. It makes me think about what my daughter Eva said to me one time when we were on the way to the life group. So we were driving on a highway, and it wasn't, it wasn't an isolated highway, but we were the only ones on the road. So we were driving, and I'm kind of creeping a little bit over the speed limit. And then my son in the back is telling me, Dad... Dad, you need to slow down. It's kind of starting to make him panic a little bit. So I was like, okay, I'll slow down for you, buddy. Uh, I'll do that for you. And then my daughter, Eva, and just imagine this in just a a cute little four-year-old voice. This is what she says to me. She says, it's okay, Daddy. There's no one on this road. You can go as fast as you want. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Uh, But I had to explain to her. Like, we're not going to be the only ones on this road. And I, I can't simply go just as fast as I want. All right, so when, when you think about the battles that our culture has had over the past three years or so, doesn't it seem like we're coming across the road with people that we disagree with all the time? It seems like it's happening so much more often. You know, I, I, I called my dad as I was preparing for this message. And he shared a story with me of a person that had such, such a deep impact on him. Are you okay if I get a little bit vulnerable here? Okay. All right, so some of you uh, know my dad. Uh, he's, been, he's been dealing with health problems for a very long time, and, and some of you have been praying for him, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but within the past decade or so, my dad has been dealing with an autoimmune issue. Um, specifically, it's called antiphospholipid syndrome. And the things that come with that, it would probably take me 20 minutes to list those all out. He, he's a really, really interesting case at the Denver Hospital as he's, as he's worked with the doctors. Um, but what's happened a couple times over the past 10 years is he's had something called a catastrophic autoimmune incident. So when his immune system begins to work too well, his body organs attack one another. And it can cause so many problems. And he's been in the hospital and, you know, not everyone survives those. And so far that he survived too. And with each incident that occurs, the chance of survival lessens. And then skipping ahead to 2019, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. 
And praise God, through the treatments over the course of the year, he was able to beat it. But at the same time, his immune system can't be too low because if it's too low, the cancer could return. All right, so he, he can't have his immune system too high and his immune system can't be too low. So he's got a really, really tricky balance to work with. So when my dad beat cancer at the beginning of 2020 and the COVID virus hit the, the stronger strains, would it be fair to say that my dad was vulnerable and he needed to be careful? He needed to be careful. Because if he got the COVID virus, this is what the doctor said, it could send him into the hospital with another catastrophic, catastrophic incident. And we don't know. We don't know what would happen. So I asked my dad, you know, what was it like for you? And, you know, he said, he talked about how the past three years have not only been hard physically for him, but it's been really incredibly hard for him relationally. Um, because people that have known him, that know what he's dealing with, this is what he described, they, they, just, they just didn't care. But he talked about a really close friend. His name is Jake Roberts, and Jake and my dad, uh, they were pastors in their community uh, for a long time, and they're both, they're both retired now, but they still got together. And at the beginning of it, Jake asked my dad this question. He said, Steve, would you feel more comfortable if I wore a mask around you? So here's the thing about Jake. He definitely didn't prefer masks, and that's okay. My dad, that was okay. But what he did for my dad is he deferred to my dad because he knew what my dad needed, and he came across my dad on the road, and he knew he could not go as fast as he wanted to. So out of love for my dad, he deferred to him. And every time he was around my dad, he put on a mask. And then when he wasn't, he took it off, and that was okay but he deferred to my dad. And I asked my dad, how did this affect you? How did this affect you? And this is what my dad shared with me. He said, you know, when I was often forgotten, Jake made me feel loved. And it disarmed me. Okay, so my dad has been part of the church for a long time. He's been a believer for a long time. And this is how it made him feel. So imagine if Jake doing this for someone who is spiritually vulnerable and is looking for the gospel and he's willingly laying aside something that could hinder it. What would that do for that person who is searching? It opens up a path for them to hear the gospel. Okay, so... I know this about Jake. He did not just do this for my dad. He's actually been doing things like this for the community for years. He has long been a missionary to the community, and he does whatever it takes to reach them for the gospel. And, you know, I shared this story in the first service, and there was someone who came up to me and said, we know Jake, and he is actually the reason that we're Christians today. I mean, what? Wow. Wow. <laughs> But this is what Jake does. He is not just compelled by the gospel. He also constrains himself because he knows that there could be hindrances that could prevent him from reaching people. So in order to reach them, he lays it aside so that he has this relational bridge. We may ask, okay, he does this, but what is his reward for that? You know, I've come across Jake a number of times over the years, 
And this is what, I notice, what I've noticed about him every time. He sees me. He comes up to me. He gives me a warm handshake. He, he says how I'm doing, but this is what I notice. I see joy in that man's eyes. I see joy. Because he knows that there is a greater reward than anything in this world can offer. So he is not just compelled by the gospel, but he also constrains himself to reach others. It kind of reminds me of what Paul said in verse 18. This is what he said. What then is my reward? What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. You see, Paul has his eyes set to a bigger vision. Yes, he could exercise his right. He has biblical support for it, but he sees a bigger vision that reaching people for the gospel, removing any hindrance is something that can produce joy in our lives and we can share the fruit of the gospel with others. This is what Paul goes after. I saw it in Jake's eyes. I see it in Rick and Linda's eyes as they do anything to share the hope of the gospel with others. All right, this is uh, one last thing, one more filter. Does how I use this right reflect Christ to others? Does how I use this right reflect Christ to others? I want to invite the band to come up on stage at this moment. You know, Paul doesn't speak specifically to this in 1 Corinthians 9, but he does speak to this in Philippians 2. He talks about to the Philippian church, make my joy complete by doing this. And in verse 5 he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He set aside. He set aside so that he could come to us. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And for the people that he encountered up close, was Jesus disarming? Oh yeah, he was. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord, right? And this is the hope, the message of the gospel that we bear, but may we be like Paul to where we ask the questions, is there anything in my life that might prevent someone from hearing this? Is there anything in my life that may hinder someone from hearing this hope that they're so desperate for and the hope that can transform them and make them look more like Jesus? Jesus is Lord and he is the hope of the world. And Paul asks, what do I need to set aside so that someone else can hear this? So that someone else can receive this? So we'll leave this question today. Whose name do you wear? Whose name do you wear? 
You know, when I get caught up in the fear and holding on to what I want, and I get into, God, are you going to give me enough? God, are you going to protect me? There's sometimes when I just shed that off. But this is what Paul is calling us to. We wear the name of Jesus. We wear his name and we represent him. So does how we live reflect Jesus? Does how we live reflect Jesus? You know, if we set aside and we reach others for the gospel and we go and compel ourselves and constrain ourselves toward that greater reward, perhaps people will see in us that joy. That's what I want to go for today. Let's pray. So God, thank you for your word for us today. It's challenging. It's challenging. Even as I was preparing for this and even speaking today, you, came, you brought moments to my mind where I have fallen short in this, God. And I confess that to you. I confess that to you. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us and would you give us and fill us with that hope so that we go after what's most important in reaching others. Even when it's hard, even when we need to limit ourselves. But the hope of the gospel that transforms lives and heals this world one person at a time, may you use every person in this room to accomplish that, God. So we choose to follow you, Jesus. We choose your way. And we reflect as we sing and worship you. We pray this in your name.